and welcome to this week's episode of the Popcorn Wind Down. I'm Eddie. And I'm Tammy. Thank you for joining us. This week's sponsor is Gabby's Gift of Gab Coffee and Tea House. Want to come to, want a cool place to hang out and shoot the breeze with your friend, friends and family or just whomever? Try Gabby's Gift of Give. Come for the audience and food. Stay for the cool gifts, books, writing supplies. Check them out at gabsgifthouse.com. Um, so this week, I'm excited about this week's episode. Hello, gentle listener. Welcome back. Didn't think we'd leave you hanging for long, for long did you? Well, shame <laughs> on you because we are back with season two of Bridgerton. It's marriage season once again in London's high society. And hoping to capitalize on his sister Daphne's now Duchess's highly successful match from the first season. It's now the eldest Bridgerton's turn. Viscount Anthony Bridgewater. Did I just call him Bridgewater? <laughs> Anthony Bridgerton. Viscount Bridgerton. <laughs> Viscount Bridgerton's turn to find his Viscountess. And oh, does my lord ever meet his match in the very lovely form of the Sharma sisters. So, Tammy, what did you think of this season's Bridgerton? A match made in heaven or a match made in hell? Match made in heaven. <laughs> um, I'm going to put it out here right at the very beginning. I enjoyed this season more than I enjoyed season one. <laughs> and that's an unpopular opinion. And we'll get into the details why. But I'm just going to say that first. <laughs> really? I enjoyed it. Um. I'm not going to say I enjoyed it more than season one. Um, I very early on, um, once I heard the news about how the season was going to shape out and I realized, you know, because a lot of people were mad that the Duke did not return. And um, I, I, unlike you, I didn't read the book. So, um, but I did do a little bit of research and talking to you, learned that it was always intended for Anthony to be the star of season two because he's the star of the second book. So it focuses more on him and his love match. Am yes. I correct? Mm -hmm. So um, even though it's a book and I'm sure they have um, more to do in the book, um, Daphne and the Duchess, the Duke and Duchess always kind of take a back seat. Um, and the way they did it, the way, the way they wrote him out, it was very realistic and um I, I learned to appreciate the fact that he wasn't in there because I think because of his popularity, they would have had to, there was no way to focus fully on Anthony and tell the story that they needed to tell without him being overshadowed by the Duke's presence, if that makes sense. So, oh, no, I, I, I agree. So I think ultimately with, his, with Reg John's um, decision not to return, I think it actually worked out and gave them the room that they needed to tell the story that they needed to tell based on how they're doing it um, and following the, the concept of the books. Um, and if he would have returned and they still would have followed the concept of the books, there I don't see the balance that they could have struck without having him and Daphne's story overshadow the overall story. And then if he would have returned, um, he would have had such a minuscule role in the way that they did it. Cause really the only time that we see Daphne is at big family events. And so their absence throughout, I think was explained very well and handled very well. So I just want to address that off the top. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. 
no, I just want to say I too loved season two. Uh, whereas first, the first season was all about love at first sight and that uncontained burning passion. And they just couldn't get enough and keep their hands off of each other, especially when you realize that they were meant to be and they got married, what, the first or second, uh, the second or third episode or when they got married, you know? Very early on, yeah. Yeah, so, and it was about them figuring out their marriage and their relationship, and I get it, and newlyweds and all of that kind of stuff, and young love. This season was more about the slow burn um, and, of passion and that forbidden love. So I know one of the things that people had talked about is, like, there was a lot less, it, they felt season two was a lot less sexy, but I, I, I still felt the sexiness of it, those, those long gazing looks that that tension um so it it was a lot on the sexual tension and i appreciated it um so i i'm i'm just saying season one and season two were different animals for me and i can appreciate the difference and i think they did a good job of trying to distinguish those things and tell a different story because if it was just sex 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 all the time um and and the way the story shake shook out i think it would have been forced if you just had all these different sex scenes and given the era that we were living in um she she wasn't a whore so it wasn't like and he kept trying to remind himself and everyone else that he was a gentleman like he had his rakish ways but he did that with whores this was a lady that he was really having genuine feelings for so he didn't want to do anything to besmirge or hurt or besmirge her her reputation if that makes sense so i understand um that to me it was just it was equally sexy just in different ways if that makes sense um yeah I think that um season one was more skilled and all about um you know passion in the form of sex and I think that it definitely helped on the fact that the actor who played the Duke was really, really good looking. So everybody who was saying, oh, I was so disappointed in season two um, because the Duke wasn't there. It's not necessarily that you missed the character. It's that they missed the face. <laughs> um, they missed the actor who played the Duke because he was a really good looking dude um, that women fell in love with because he was really, really good looking. I don't think necessarily that um, a lot of people who were upset about the fact that the Duke wasn't there. I don't think they were upset that the Duke, the character wasn't there. I think they were upset that the actor did not show back up. So they didn't get to see his pretty face all the time. Um, I agree with you that it would have taken attention away from the star of season two, which was Anthony, which is not a bad looking dude. <laughs> like Anthony, Anthony is a, is he is a real good looking dude as well. So, so it's not like there was nobody to stare at and to fall in love with in season two because Anthony definitely got the looks about him. Um, I think what made me love season two more is because it would more it was more emotion filled. Um, it you saw, I, I I think in season one it was about Daphne and um, Simon. Um, just wanting each other, right? Like they they just wanted each other, that, that passion. Um, they couldn't get enough of each other physically. Um, but it takes a minute for you to really see the love story of them. It takes a minute for you to really see the love story of both of them, at least to me. 
Um, but with Kate and Anthony, because um, it's so, it was such a slow burn, um, the emotions is what drew me in and kept me interested for all the episodes. Um, because you saw how they fought against these feelings and these emotions that they had the whole entire season until it was just too much and they had to give in. Um, and that is what like interested me and that is what kept me um, fully focused on, on them. I don't even think they had enough time. I don't think they were given enough time in season two being that it was their season, but there was attention given to so many other characters at the same time when I would have loved it if it had been a little bit more focused on Anthony and Kate. Um, yeah, there there were times when you I wanted more Anthony and Kate, but I kind of understood why they didn't. Because, um, again, if it was more Anthony and Kate, I think the story would have turned. I don't think they could have drawn it out as long as they would have focused more on Anthony and Kate without it being contrived if that makes sense, that slow burn, that forbidden passion, because once they really, I think once they realized after the whole beasting incident um, that what they had wasn't just fleeting, it wasn't just lust, um, that it wasn't just curiosity, um, whenever they were in a room together, it was really, really, really hard for them um, not to, and those who were paying attention, like Lady Danbury and his mother, and especially Daphne, um, to to not notice what was going on with them and just how real it was. And so um, I think the times that we they didn't focus on them was the times that we knew that they were purposely and intentionally trying to stay apart from each other. Um, so I get it. Um, on one hand, yeah, I do, I, I do understand, because um, there are times when I was like, yes, I want more of them. I think it should have focused more on them. But then on the other hand, from the writer in me, um, that standpoint, I realized it would have been really hard to put them, to come up with situations, um, especially then when we don't, when they didn't have all the distractions that we have now to keep us in a room with someone, but not really paying attention or to try to make it seem like we're not paying attention um, they didn't have all those instant distractions back then. And um, given how it was so improper for a man and a woman to be alone together, um, there really wasn't much that they could do um, without, like I said, without it seeming contrived. There really weren't many incidences because, like I said, after that beasting and whenever they were alone together, it was just a matter of, okay, not if, but not if, but when it was going to happen. So I get it. Um, what did you think about the Sharma sisters? Oh, I love them. Um, yeah. I loved, I loved Kate. Um, I loved how focused she was. Um, she had that older sibling, like that. That's another thing that kind of connected her and Anthony is the responsibilities that they had because they were the older sibling and the sacrifices that she made in order to take care of her sister, make sure that her sister um, was well taken care of as well as her mother. Um, I love the dynamics of them. Um, I love the fact that Edwina always referred to her sister because her sister was such a strong personality, but in the end, 
figured out who she wanted to be in the end as well and was willing to speak up against her sister. Like, I just love the dynamic of the, um, the Sharma family, the mom and the two, the two sisters. I, I thought they had a great dynamic. Yeah, I, I loved it too. I, I love the Sharma sisters. I love seeing the focus on our lovely brown skinned, brown skinned women. Um, I thought they were gorgeous. I thought that, um, and I thought they were strong and independent. And I love the fact that she and Anthony were kind of like opposites of the same coin or two sides of the same coin. Um, they both took on roles that they were way too young to take on, but were kind of thrust upon them because both of their mothers, um, I don't think it was intentional, but they were so overwhelmed with the grief, um, oh, with the grief over the loss of their soulmates, the loves of their lives, that they kind of checked out and their children, their eldest children, just kind of took on that responsibility and never gave it back as being the head of the household. And I know in Anthony's case, it's a little different because he was the male and he automatically became a vice count and, um, and was handed that power, um, you know, that power dynamic and that shift. Like it was very apparent and it kind of, it kind of pisses you off, but you realize that this, is, this was real life. And in a lot of ways, you got to pay attention because they're trying to take us back to this time where she had, you know, after her husband died, uh, Mrs. Bridgerton had no agency over her body or the choices that she were she was allowed to make about her, her birth, you know. Um, and when she went off and she was like, no, it's not his choice to make. It's mine, you know, or, or it should have been my husband's, but it's not his. And it, it just kind of, and then after the child was born, it was like, you know, he was trying to give her time to grieve and he just kind of took on that role because someone had to leave the house and think, well, if, if, if it had been different, maybe if it hadn't been so tragic or his father's death hadn't been so sudden that she could have helped him ease into that role, you know. Um, so it, it was really, it was really interesting to see that. And then, you know, knowing that Kate was kind of thrust into that same role because her mom checked out after the death, after the death of her dad, I was like, okay. And I love the fact that she had that conversation with her mom and her mom was like, no, you've always been my child. Like there was never a distinction, you know, um, there was no way that there could ever be a distinction. And I was just, I was like, yes, we, we need more of that even in today's society. So where she never thought of her as less than or a second child or my step anything. It was like, no, this is my daughter, you know. Yeah, when she goes off on her parents, and I, I think that was also a very powerful scene when uh, her parents, with their snobbish ways, um, basically is trying to talk down to Kate, um, talk down about her life choices that she made, about you know the husband that she had, and you know just claiming on the fact saying I have two daughters, not one. I have two daughters. It does not matter if I did not give birth to her. I helped raise her. That is my child as well, you know. Oh, yeah. Kate, um, her grandparents, the Sheffields, they were some motherfuckers. Like, they were some <laughs> bitches. Like, I hate They were, they like, were on top uh, of, you know, British society, London society. I know, but you could get rocks. <laughs> like, shit, I wouldn't piss on you to spit you. I wouldn't piss on y'all to spit you out if you were on fire. <laughs> like, I... And I rarely feel that way about people, eat characters. Like you said last week, we talk about these people sometimes like they were real, but nah, like I would have had to keep going. Their characters could have been on fire. And I was like, eh, do I stop? 
probably would have stopped just for the humanity in me. And I, you know, I, I, I need to make my way up into them pearly gates and I don't know if I can, but it, it <laughs> I might've had to pass it up a little bit. Like, oh shit, I got to go back. <laughs> you know, um, they, they were horrible, but I get it. Um, I, I do appreciate that we found out a little bit more about Mr. Bridgerton, how he died. And it makes you think just about how far we've come. Like he died from something like anaphylactic shock because he was allergic to a bee sting and they knew nothing about that back in the day. So I was like, oh, wow. You know, um, something that was, would be simple to us today was life threatening back then, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then they were talking about people dying of the flu. And I'm like, fuck you, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, oh, keeping it on the Bridgerton. So um, before we move on, I, I I wish one thing I do wish where you say we wish you would have got more with Anthony and um, I kind of wish we would have seen their wedding. Like, I think it would have been something because of who they were and being true to themselves. I think it probably would have been that small family affair at the at the family's country estate. Um, and because of the scandal that was associated with everything before, or do you think they would have gone big and just said, fuck you? Well, just on um, Kate's personality alone, I don't think they would have went big. I also think that I agree with you on would have loved to have seen their wedding and maybe we'll get flashbacks in season three. Um, because I think that also what have would have definitely been implemented was um, Kate's Indian culture um, and their wedding traditions that they have in India. I, I do believe that um, that would have been implemented in the wedding that they would have had. Yeah, I, I, I would have loved to have seen it because something tells me it would have been the wedding that he mentioned earlier, like you said, um, a, a, a mix of Brit of traditional British and Indian culture. And it would have been something simple, um, you know, with their closest friends and family. And of course, probably some of the some of Britain's high society. But I don't think it would have been that thing that the, the something as big as what the, the queen threw. And I love how the queen still didn't dismiss Edwina um, as her diamond and still kept her close. And I think that has to, it had to do with a lot of the grace that Edwina showed King George um, when he was having an episode. And to be able to show that kind of grace and sympathy um, and empathy in the middle of your own heartbreak and on one of the worst days of your life, I think it spoke a lot about to who Edwina really was. And it showed the queen that, hey, I did not make the wrong choice in taking my diamond, you know? Um, and especially when she was so discreet, she's like, I saw nothing but how much you two love each other. And I don't think I would ever be able to put that in words in a million lifetimes, you know? So she was like, it was basically her way of saying, you have, you don't have anything to worry about for me. I would never, I would never disclose such a thing. So I love that. And I, at the end when the queen was like, did I ever tell you I have a nephew? He's a prince. And all those, <laughs> oh all God, those ladies yes. were like, what the fuck? Like, the fuck? And the, so, what was the, is the Crowders or the uh, Cowders? Yeah, um, Cressida, whatever her name was. Yeah, Cressida. And, and like she looked over like, for real though? Because you know, yeah, I was like, about to marry him before Daphne came about. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was just like, wow. Um, I do. Now, speaking, keeping on in Bridgerton, Eloise, she was another Bridgerton who played a very, very big role. Um, I What did you think about what ultimately went down between her and Penelope? 
and right, her I, discovery that Penelope was whistled down after another season of trying to unmask whistle down. Um, I it was one of the most powerful scenes of season two. Um, it yeah, <laughs> it it was a strong strong scene, and especially seen as how. They are best friends who grew up together, who knows each other's secrets, and they hit below the belt. Nobody hits the bo- below the belt the way that your best friends can because they know everything about you and they know what is going to break you and what is going to hurt you most. And that definitely was a part of the blowout that they had. Um, yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> it was it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, I. Uh, and and this is me being an outsider, okay? I fully understand how Eloise um, reacted and supported. I'm I'm not against how she reacted. Um, you know, she was very angry at the situation. She was called out multiple times. Her secrets were put out there. Uh, at the same time, as an outsider, I understood where Penelope was coming from. I definitely understood where Penelope was coming from um, on this. I think that Eloise has privilege that even at the end of season two she cannot fully acknowledge and this is privilege that Penelope there's no acknowledgement really of the fact that the privilege that Eloise enjoys will never be enjoyed by Penelope um that 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 will never be the life that she lives Eloise has fully been protected and she's been able to foster her ideas her radical ideas at the time um and to to say things and to act a certain way that Penelope will never be afforded that kind of um, environment, that kind of safe environment to um, foster those kinds of thoughts. And one reason why she had to secretly um, invent um, Lady Whistledown and go about it that way. Um, So I do understand the powerful scene. I understand Eloise's reactions as well as Penelope's, but I get it from Penelope's side on the choices that she made um, in the life that she was dealt and how she had to live that life. If that makes sense. It does. Know, maybe that was a little um, too deep. I don't know. <laughs> no, I get it. I, I, I agree with you. Like, okay. I, think, I think Eloise's love interest, Dio, he said it best. He's like, you're privileged and you don't understand. Like, Penelope was trying, and even though she was, she, Penelope was trying to protect a lot. It A lot of it was about self-preservation. Uh, a lot of it was about trying to protect her best friend. Um, some of it was because I think she wanted something that belonged, that was just hers. Yes. And then some of it was she knew she was playing a very dangerous game and she did not want to get Eloise involved. Um, also, you know, Eloise would try to take over. And, you know, so I, I get it from all sides. There are a lot of reasons why she did what she did, you know. And, um, but when she, but she was always very honest. You need to leave this guy alone. You don't know what you're getting into. Stay away from him. Do not go here on this particular day. Do not go here at this moment. Why, you know, and Eloise was very, and Eloise is very self-centered. She does only think about herself and what she wants and what she needs at the time. She never thought about what, and she never looked at it from anyone else's point of view. I like this guy. Does he like me? I need to know. I need to know now. So, you know, and then when she comes to him, when she heard that, oh, the Queen's men had been there to see him, she her reaction was, well, we need to get our story straight. You know, she didn't understand what that meant, how 
okay, because you had a meeting with the queen directly and the pressure you're under, the reason why you were granted that is because your family ultimately is still, you're not just part of British's high society, your family is actually fucking nobility. Yes. High nobility. High nobility. So that's why you're granted, you were granted a, a, a visit from the queen directly and talking with the queen directly rather than dealing with her henchmen. That's why she gave you the courtesy that she extended to you. He doesn't have that, you know. And so it, it, it was just like she, she, she had a hard time seeing it. Now, I get her anger. I really, really do. I get her feeling of betrayal. And I understand why, why Penelope did it. it. It's like, okay, you just feel like you're being betrayed. And yes, she did put your secrets out there, but it could have been a lot worse. She did mm-hmm. what she did to ultimately protect you from the queen. And she couldn't see that at the time. Yeah, and, and so I do kind of hope that they make their way back, but I know the relationship will probably never be the same. And Based on the book, it does, but um, I, I think another thing is is that, and this may come up a little bit later based on like the um, book series, on it also showed the dents within or the holes, my bad, wrong word. It showed the holes within their friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm still on the fact that when you find out that your best friend is absolutely in love with your brother and never once did you get an inkling that she had feelings for your brother in the amount of times that she talks about him and asks about him, but she never asks about Anthony she never asks about Benedict. She doesn't ask about Gregory, but she always only asks about Colin. I think these are holes that are starting to show themselves in their friendship, the connection that they have had. And I think this friendship has been great for Eloise because it has always benefited Eloise. And now that it no longer benefits her as much or she is not the diamond within that friendship, that is where now you're seeing the separation between the two. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think it was because Penelope needed something of her own. Uh, she, she was always, you know, she always played second fiddle in her relationship in her friendship with Eloise, you know? Um, and then she, she was always third or fourth fiddle at home. So being Lady Whistledown, it's something that was just hers and hers alone. She didn't have to answer to anyone for it. She could be herself. She could, she found something that she liked, something she was passionate about, something she was good at, you know. And uh, she's a hustler. Like she 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 was enterprising. Her and Miss Delacroix, um, Delacroix, whatever her name was. Um, yeah. So I I appreciated that. What did you think about? Um, goodness i i was going to say uh i love lady danbury oh she's a boss she's a boss she, <laughs> she's i told someone she's like the 18th century jeff she's like the victorian version of jeffrey like she's a g she she's a straight <laughs> up g she is a fixer you know she's a fixer she's she's a mover she's a shaker um, I love when she tells those people when they were like, oh, when they were at the museum, she's like, they were like, oh, we did not think you would be here. And she goes, you didn't think I would be at the place that my family has a room at? The place that, don't you see Danbury Hall? Like, literally, we got a room named after us? Like, bitch, I run this place. What the fuck you mean? I didn't think I would be here. 
Like, I, I have more of a right to be here than you do. I love how observant she's always been. Um, and I hope that it continues because her and the queen are just, I love their like kind of a little bit of, I don't want to say frenemy because I don't think they're necessarily enemies, but they're very cautious of each other, the power that they wield um, in society. And I love how um, they manipulate each other, but at the same time, I'm sure they consider each other to be friends um, as well um, because they all have to thank the queen for, you know, them enjoying the life that, that they have. Right. Um, so, but yeah, it, it is definitely, definitely entertaining. <laughs> I am looking forward to the Queen's prequel series um, where we get more about Queen Charlotte and hopefully we'll get to see a younger lady, a younger version of Lady Danbury in that too and see how that friendship, that friendship, are we going to call it? <laughs> that relationship develops over the years. Um, yes. I was, I well, was she's supposed that. to be in the Queen's prequel as well, Danbury. That's good. Um, and I was telling someone, we, and I know we talked about it last season, um, I love how they stayed true to who Charlotte was and actually made her black. And most people, you know, whether she was one-eighth, one-fourth, it goes by that one-drop rule, Charlotte was a black woman who could pass. And very few people knew her secret, you know, um, knew that she was actually black. So I love that they, they uphold this, um, the, the, this tradition or this... I won't say tradition, but I love that they made her black. I really do. And um, are exposing us to some of the truths of history that we like to deny, whether it's through fiction or whatever. Um, so I, I will stand by that. And her wigs were just as beautiful uh, and crazy. And um, I, I, I actually loved her more this season than I did last season. So like I said, I'm really on a side note looking forward to her prequel um, series. I, I'm excited to see that. Um, we've talked about Anthony, we talked about Eloise and the other bit. Oh, the Featheringtons. Before I cannot let you go without talking about Mama Featherington, the original Chris Kardashian. Okay, <laughs> okay love okay. her or hate her. <laughs> she was gonna do what she needed to do to survive. She was a straight up fucking hustler. Okay, uh. She, she she was a hustler. There's no other way to put it out there. Mama was going to hustle. She was going to dig herself into a hole, but she was also going to dig herself out of a hole and do it with all the grace that she could muster for that day. And it's amazing that how she was an independent woman, but she didn't look at herself that way. Because um, when she was talking about Malin Delacroix's business, she's like, what must it be for a woman to have to do run her own business? And I'm like, but bitch, you doing it? Like, you doing it? <laughs> Just imagine if she had married better. Like, yes. how powerful of a woman she would have been if she had married, if she had been able to marry better. Like, if she had been able to, let's say, marry the Bridgerton, like, and marry into the Bridgerton family, or. Well, ultimately, it's going to happen. But to marry into the Bridgerton family, um, I think you can see what she would have ran the whole ton. She she would have ran them. She'd have had that whole entire society on lock. But because of the position that she was in society, she had to do some very very un, un underhand things 
in order to survive. And I love the fact that at the end of the day, she was dedicated to her daughters more than anything. When the cousin, cousin Jack, <laughs> when um, when cousin Jack, um, when the scheme is revealed by when Colin reveals the scheme, and he's like, okay, you know, we can we can we can sail to the Americas. We can sail to the Americas. She was like, what about my daughters? And he was just like, we'll call for them at a later date. And that's when you knew she was done. Like that, like she was all for it up until he said that he was willing to leave her children behind. And then after that, she was just like, yeah, when you decided that my kids were a second thought to you, I knew I was going to let you take the whole fall for this. Mm -hmm. The whole entire fall. And I, I love that. Now, granted, not a fan of the Featherington family. Really not. No. <laughs> but I understand she did everything for survival. Survival like I of said, position in she, society. She was the original Chris Kardashian in my in my mind. I <laughs> it, 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 it's just that hustle and that grit and the cards that she was dealt because her first husband, like even last year, um, in the first season, she was annoying as fuck. And you you knew that she was supposed to be the anti-hero slash the villain you knew who you knew the role that she was playing in that right the spoiler but as the season went on especially if you saw as you saw all this and she played her role she was that she tried to be that beautiful wife but you could tell after she found out the true extent of her husband's intentions and just how he screwed up fucked away all their money and all that he was into um you could tell that after that, she was like, oh, no, never again would she put herself in that position. Once she got out of the position that he had left them in, she was going to do whatever it took to make sure that they were never put back in that position. And you could tell how much she hated um, the thought of having to rely on another man, especially another Featherington, to come in and, and support them and take care of them and have to be reliant upon them. So you know, and I love the fact that she did not play, she did not play down who she was this time. She did not, she let him know that, hey, I'm the HBIC in here. I'm the, I'm the boss bitch. Like, you are coming into my house. And, and so when she, when she blew up his spot with Cressida, she's like, well, hell, if you would have just told me the truth, we could have been, we could have avoided all this. But she wasn't going to let him back out of that engagement. And I was like, oh, and then I was like, so are y'all really going to get it on? Like, he, 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 you know, he's scheming. And that's when you knew it's like, oh, but he's engaged to your daughter. That's so, like, you know. <laughs> I was just like, okay. But it's like they would have made the perfect couple, but he wasn't as smart as he thought. Because when she laid out, like, all she had done, like, oh, I'm giving you enough to get to America, but I'm keeping a lion's share of the money. Um you know, and yeah, it turns out you schemed me just as much as you schemed everybody else out of their money. Um, you've also left it in a declaration that my daughter's first son will inherit the estate. And I was just like, oh, shit. You know, so I was just like, oh, okay, she's a hustler. Like, love her or hate her, that's who she is. And, and I did respect, like, and you knew it, you saw, because she knew he was never going to come back for her kids. He knew she, he was never going to send for them. So, you know, it's just like, she's like, they may be annoying, but they're mine. <laughs> <laughs> she's annoying with them. Yes. And I love that part. My favorite scene with them is when her, her daughter goes, well, I can sing. And she's like, oh, heavens, no. <laughs> <laughs> and 
she's like, you sure you don't want me to sing? No. <laughs> <laughs> she knew where her, ta- her daughter's talents were and the fact that they really had none. <laughs> yeah. So she was like, okay, we got one married off now. If I could only get you married off. And then Penelope and Colin. I'm interested to see how that played out. Like he, he, I don't know. I, I'm tempted to ask, but I don't want to ask. I kind of just want to see organically where that goes and how, what they do with that. So I'm, I'm not going to well, ask you. They're the fourth book. I'm just going to tell you that. Oh, okay. Who's the third one? Who do we have to look Benedict. forward to for next week? Be- Benedict. Like, and I'm so oh. excited. that They say that they may combine um, storylines, so they may do like a third and fourth book at the same time, which I don't think I want because I feel like Colin and Penelope is going to take away from the enjoyment of Benedict's story, um, which I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see Benedict's story. Um, it's a cl- it's a classic it's a classic story like it's a classic Disney story, um for his for his love story. Okay, um I'm excited to see Benedict too because honestly he has probably been the most interesting and diverse character to me. Um, <laughs> he, he went on a shroom binge. <laughs> yes, he is the one who gives the least fucks about what, their place in society, the name Bridgerton. Um, you know, and I love that he, you know, he's just, he's, he, like Anthony said, I have the responsibility and I took it off of all you so you guys could go see what you want. And he's the one who took adva- the most advantage of Anthony's seriousness. But I love what Anthony also told him that you're also the one that we, we know we can go to. Like he's the one that everyone seems to go to for advice, you know, um, to talk to. I love his relationship with Eloise. Um, and I love, you know, so I, I love that about them. So I am looking forward to Benedict's story. There's um, there's one pet peeve that I have with him. What? Um, I think he's a little, like him and Eloise are the closest, I think, out of the siblings. But he has the same mindset as her on not fully understanding your privilege and what comes from it. And thinking that you can just be an ordinary person who just happens to be from one of the most powerful um, families in the ton. Um, you get the opportunity to be an artist. And yes, your brother did pay for you to get in, but you secured your spot on your talent. Mm-hmm. And rather than you showing them that, okay, my brother may have paid for me to get in here, but I deserve to be in here. Um, I have talent. Once again, no confidence in what in his talent. And so he gives up another opportunity, which he's done multiple times because he's in his feelings on the fact that what your privilege has been shown. Like, I, 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 I did not get that. I think that was a pet peeve of mine. He's he's been that way for a while. He wants to do it on his own merit. Yet you don't do it on your own merit. It's not it's not like you, you went you was going to one of the most prestigious art academies in the town how you think he was getting in like I, I don't know I don't know I just I just like instead of you taking advantage of your privilege as well as showing them that you have the talent even though you are part of the ton you would want to be a poor artist without being actually poor I don't know yeah, he and Eloise did not seem to be very realistic about the way the world works. Like no. they're, they're sheltered. They their naivety showed a lot. 
Um, so I can agree with you on that. They were they were very naive about the ways of the world and about especially their world, how society worked outside of the parties and the galas which they were bored with. They 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 didn't seem too aware of the politics of their world outside the social politics, you know. And so I I was just like, well, maybe Anthony hasn't done such a great job, but I agree with you on that. So um, hopefully we'll see him start to mature a bit. Colin, on the other hand, seemed to have a better grasp of it. And I'm glad it was the black man who exposed Featherton for being the snake in the grass, you know. Um, he was he was the one who didn't seem to be ever so enamored and always very wary of Featherton. Um, and I and maybe it had to do with the way Featherton had spoken down to him, especially as someone who lived in the southern colonies, you know, um, and just had this air about him assuming he was so much better. So... I really like that part. Well, uh, is there anything else that you want to discuss before we wrap this up? Anything that I've missed? Any final um, thoughts? Any crumbs at the bottom of your bucket? The actual romance of Kate and Anthony? <laughs> we talked about it. Oh, okay. Uh, what, what, did you want to say? Well, what did you want to say about it? <laughs> No, 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 like, what was like your favorite scene? When they, my favorite scene? Yeah, what was your favorite scene of the um season two? Oh gosh, I had a lot. Like I, I do love the part where they actually gave in and the first time they consummated and then at the end, um, with Kate and Anthony. I love that. Like you say, at that point, um, I think maybe okay, to go back, maybe they took too long with the slow burn to tell the story of the slow burn. And maybe they should have capped it off um, before the final episode. I think that would have given us more of what we wanted with them to see the wedding and all that other stuff. So I think we did get shortchanged a little on the, on the romance of Kate and Anthony. So I loved all their scenes together. It was very realistic for the time. Um, I loved the scene with the dinner party scene um, with the Sheffields. That was, a, that was really, really good. Um, with Penelope and... Um, Eloise and also uh, where where Featherington where Lady Featherington was telling her daughter not to sing that was that was hilarious so yeah what about you um I will say that um one of my favorite scenes is the dancing like before we started the podcast I was trying to like I was asking you like what's the name of that song because I can hum it and I know I know it but I couldn't remember it um I'm dancing on uh, my own and um, I love when they're dancing and everybody around them, except for Edwina, <laughs> can see the emotion that is with them. Daphne sees it. Um, Lady Danbury sees it. And just watching just the emotions that they are trying to hide and fight as they're dancing and they're doing it for Edwina. Like they're trying to get along for Edwina. And at the same time, you clearly see them falling even more in love with each other through that whole entire dance. I, I, I think that was one of the most powerful scenes um, of the show. Um, another one I would have to say is when they're at the horse um, races, um, when they're at the horse races, he kind of persuades his friend from school to um, distract Kate, and then she finds out about it. 
But then also when he falls into the pond and he gets oh, yes. all wet. <laughs> and then he gets up and all they can do is just stare at him. And it was like, it's bad to stare. And Edwina's looking at her like, did you stare at too? What you talking about? Like, we Thank you. And you stare at my man. Like, <laughs> like, come on. You have to acknowledge the fact that this man, like his body is ridiculous. His face looks good. And he got the body on him. <laughs> um, yeah. I uh, like. I really. I love the revealing the emotions at the very end. Um, the scene where he sends, where he says that you are the bane of my existence, but all that he, all he thinks about is her. At the same time, I think that that confession, for some reason, it hit me more than when Simon confessed to Daphne um, on the passion that he had for her. Um, I think that really showed that uh, Anthony could no longer deny the fact that he was absolutely and completely and totally in love with Kate and there was no going back um, from that. And, oh, shoot. Oh, my God. I just forgot the last scene. Oh, when when Edwina finally realized that she's been completely blind to their emotions. Yes, I was going to mention that (laughs) one. When they get up. And they touch each other by mistake and they start staring at each other like nobody else is in the room. And she looks and she says, was I really that blind? And I was like, yes. Yes, 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 you were. (laughs) Like completely blind. I love that one too. Like, it was like, what? Like, yeah, girl, you missed it. You missed a lot. And I think one scene that has nothing to do with Anthony and Kate um, would be um, Eloise and Theo when they are connecting and because I think that that also showed her the type of person that she wanted to be and that she could be accepted in a certain circle besides being part of the ton because she's never felt like she's really fit in with the women that are part of that but um, I think him showing her um, a different environment that she can be in where she can be her absolute self. And there were other women who who had the same mindset as her, who were as outspoken as her or even more outspoken. Now, granted, she never, she never really saw the fact that the reason why these women could be more outspoken than you is because they were the poor um, part of society, you know? So um, it wasn't as much to lose and it wasn't as many standards um, that they had to live up to because they were poor. So they could be more outspoken compared to you being from such a privileged society that um, there were more restrictions on being a woman within the ton compared to being a woman in um, the poor aspects of society kind of thing. So I think that that whole dynamic between um, Eloise and Theo, I really loved it, which is crazy because after research, I was like, was his name Theo, the one that she ends up with um, in her book? And it's not. <laughs> it's Because I was just like, wait a minute, is this the dude? And it's not. So just throwing out that different dynamic and like makes me think like, are they going to bring Theo back or was that just a growth aspect for Eloise and we won't see Theo again? Mm, I don't know. I, I think maybe it may have been a growth aspect. We, we will see. Um... So how are you going to rate it? How many popcorns do you give it? Um, so I am going to give Bridgerton season two 4.25 popcorns. <clears throat> um, I really, really enjoyed it. I binge watched it. Um, I guess I would I would have given like 
four, I would have said 4.5, but I do, I'm still of the mindset that I did not get enough time on Kate and Anthony. Um, and I also hate the fact that we missed their whole finally getting together, their marriage. And we went from one scene where they acknowledge that they love each other to the next scene where they're married and they've been together for a minute, you know, kind of thing. Um, so 4.25 popcorns and I cannot wait for season three. Um, yeah, I give it a little bit lower. I, I'm at the, didn't quite make four on my list, but I did love it. I give it 3.75 popcorns. Um, and I too cannot wait till uh, season three. Um, like I said, I, I realized that, and I, I'm going to try to do that with each season, embrace them as their own animal since the storylines are so different and each character will take a different um will be the main character or the main focus of the story. We'll see, still see some of the others, but we know that each season is meant to focus on a different Bridgerton. So, um, all right. Well, that does it for this week's episode of the Popcorn Wind Down. Uh, please be sure to listen, like, follow, and comment on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and or Spotify Podcasts. You can also keep up to date on the latest in entertainment pop culture news as well as other amazing kernels of pop culture goodness and catch up with on any, any of our amazing episodes that you may have missed, seasons one, two, and currently three at the popcornwindown.com. See what I did there? Um, that's it. That's the plug. Still waiting for season two. Still waiting on my, on my uh, sound effects, but we'll see what happens. Um, never not funny. <laughs> never, never not funny because, you know, hopefully, pop, pop, pop. I get it. Um, thank you as always and be sure to join us next week when we discuss Michael Bay's Ambulance starring the one, the only Jake Gyllenhaal and the ever so fine Yaya Ma Mahin, Mahin, the third I'll no, get his name right by next week so I'm just going to say Yaya because y'all know who I'm talking about, Yaya oh, let me stop, okay um, until next time <laughs> you know I can go off on a whole tangent because that means it's telephone but um, until next time, I'm Eddie. And I'm Tammy. Bye. Peace. Yeah, yeah.